Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! And welcome to another installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and of course I am Rob Watson, um, today we, today actually, uh, as of this recording, is the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And so we want to uh, pay homage to that, even if you're listening to this week's hints from here or a year from here or six months from now, um, because this show will probably still be pertinent and timely even then. But um, that is what is happening literally today. Um, so we want to talk about that today. Um, we also have a really special guest, um, Mark S. King, who is the award-winning blogger and activist of the website and blog My Fabulous Disease, um, long-term survivor of the HIV-AIDS um, pandemic or <laughs> pandemic um, plague crisis, um, uh, and uh, we'll talk about that in conjunction with what uh, long-term survivorship feels like, is like, um, how many people are looking back appropriately um, to those times, and is there anything we can learn from that? Plus, um, he is actually having a birthday coming up. He turns 60 years old, and um, on Wednesday, December 16th, uh, he will be having a virtual party that he builds as being pure, full of pure joy and celebration. And we'll also have celebrity guests such as Sir Elton John and Greg Luganis participating. Um, but it is a celebration of long-term survivors and, um, and really recognition of hitting life milestones that uh, long-term survivors didn't think they would hit. Um, so that is all coming up. Um, before we get into that, I do want to welcome to the show my illustrious co-host, uh, fresh from talking to the Biden transition team, Brody Levac. Brody, welcome. Hey, good afternoon, Rob. Uh, good afternoon, good morning. Good day to our listeners around the world. We appreciate uh, you coming and visiting us every week, and we hope that we bring you really good things uh, that uh, you enjoy. And maybe educate yeah. you along the way. So uh, and, and, uh, today, and, and along with our own education. Yeah, this is true too. <laughs> um, the first thing I'm going to do is today, of course, is Transgender uh, Day of Remembrance, um, and and I thought a significant first. Um, we uh, saw something that we have never seen from an American president, um, or especially not a president elect. And this morning. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden, in honor of uh, today's date, uh, issued a short statement uh, from his home in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. And I'm going to read it. It's really quick. Uh, From the President-elect. In so many ways, 2020 has been a year of tremendous suffering and loss. The transgender and gender nonconforming communities in the United States, it has also been the most violent year on record. At least 37 transgender and gender nonconforming people have been killed this year, most of them black and brown transgender women. 
It's intolerable. On Transgender Day of Remembrance, we honor their lives and recommit to the work that remains to ensure that every transgender and gender nonconforming person in America has the opportunity to live authentically, earn a living wage, and be treated with dignity and respect in their communities and workplaces. As a part of our remembrance, we must work to end the pandemic epidemic of violence and discrimination against transgender and gender nonconforming Americans and never repeat it. Transgender rights are human rights to transgender and gender nonconforming people across America and around the world from the moment I'm sworn in as President of the United States. Know that my administration will see you, listen to you, and fight for not only your safety, but also the dignity and justice you have been denied. Joseph R. Biden, the President-elect of the United States. Wow, that's excellent. That's, yeah, I, I have to tell you, when, when you preface that by saying, um, I'm going to read something that a president has never done before, um, my first reaction was, oh, God, what now? Thinking of oh, the current sitting yeah, president no. who has done lots of stuff that no president has done before. Well, I, I, but, you know, I'm going to try to keep off of that subject. We did have um, a rather down piece of news that I'm going to share with our listeners uh, that occurred earlier today. Um, I reported on it. Um, The United States 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta, in a two-to-one decision today, voided a ban of local ordinances that were passed by the Florida city of Boca Raton and the surrounding Palm Beach County, which prohibited therapists from offering so-called conversion therapy to minors struggling with their sexual orientation and gender identity. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but basically the bottom line was two Christian evangelical therapists wanted to do away. I hope you're uh, still there. Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm I'm here. We just Um, seem to have lost you. If you're – that the story Brody was talking about is um, the um, – this – Circuit of, of Appeals judges ruled against a trend that is happening across the country, which is um, invalidating uh, or ordinances that are making conversion therapy illegal um, to use against um, young people. And um, this court ruled against that. Um, two, the two judges were Trump appointees, so we're seeing an effect of Trump's um, loading the court up. Um, I think Brody is back now. Brody, yeah, are you back? I'm, I'm, I'm back. I just, for some reason, it just dropped. If you're back, we can't hear you. you. Um, um, I'm back. I can hear you. Anyway, they, I, so, I the, and there was, there you are. Yeah, I'm here. Um, okay. So, anyway, what basically essentially so happened I was filling, is, Yeah, I was filling yeah. in on that, on the details of that. So the dissenting mm-hmm. judge was an Obama appointee. You want to talk about yes. what the dissenting judge um, said in the case? Well, I'd have to go into the actual ruling. Uh, the whole thing hinged off of and Brody. Uh, we can't hear you again. Can you hear me now? So we're having some technical difficulties with Brody's uh, mic, apparently. Hello. 
Um, Hello. So anyway, the the um, they this is a disturbing trend, and this will be something that we will see going um, through the court. Um, there's recommendations on the legal experts that this not be put in a fast track to the Supreme Court because of the current makeup of the Supreme Court and the fact that the judges, some of the judges sitting there have kind of signaled a propensity towards honoring what they consider religious freedom. Um, And uh, that would not be a good case to throw in front of them currently. Uh, Brody, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. (laughs) I don't know why you can't hear me, but yeah. Yeah, you keep going. You keep going silent on this. Um, So, Brody, let's switch to Transgender Day of Remembrance. The L.A. Blade, of which you are the editor-at-large, did a wonderful Mm -hmm. edition for it today. Uh, Tell us what's in that. Um, I was very extremely fortunate that I have two brilliant op-eds in the paper this week, one from uh, both friends of the show as well as personal friends of ours, uh, trans man and uh, superstar transgender activist Aiden Doling wrote a brilliant op-ed uh, looking ahead to, of course, obviously what this means now to have an incoming Biden administration. And then our dear friend, uh, comedian uh, Julia Scotty, wrote uh, a similar piece. Uh, so it was two bookend pieces from, from Julia uh, and uh, from Aiden talking about you know, the, the importance of what this means uh, to transgender Americans everywhere to have, you know, a new lease on life uh, without the fear factor because of the last four years of what the community, uh, the trans community in particular, uh, has been through under the Trump regime. Um, and then uh, we we also talked uh, uh, through the issue on some awareness stuff that's going on in Los Angeles uh, and some health things that are happening around the globe. So it's, it's a pretty good issue. Uh, the cover uh, was done uh, by uh, one of the young people I mentor. It's a gorgeous cover, and it, it pays honor uh, to the trans people that uh, unfortunately have been lost, which, of course, is what today is about. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I'm really proud of the issue. and I'm just grateful to Aiden and to Julia for their brilliant op-eds. Uh, they, you, if you can go online. You don't have to uh, uh, go out and run and grab a copy if you can, but it's losangelesblade.com. And, uh, yeah, just uh, go in and take a look-see, and, uh, you know, uh, we appreciate uh, everybody's uh, input on it, too, by the way. So, for me personally, it's kind of a hard day because, uh, you know, I lost a dear friend of mine uh, and a friend of the show's. Uh, She was a a brilliant uh, journalist, blogger, activist. Uh, force of nature, Monica Roberts, of course, who was the editor-in-chief of Transgreat and, and a just force of nature uh, in Texas, particularly her native Texas, uh, for fighting for transgender uh, rights and equality, um, particularly for, you know, her own community of black transgender women. Uh, and it, it, having Monica, unfortunately, pass away or, uh, earlier this fall uh, was a was a pretty bad blow, not just only uh, to her friends, you know, people like me and her, you know, her inner circle, but as the community in general, because she really was uh, a, a very integral part uh, of the fight uh, for, you know, transgender rights and human rights, really. 
about two. Yeah. And I just want to note that um, all three of them, Aiden, uh, Julia, and Monica, have were guests of the show. Um, and you can search back not too far, and you absolutely should hear Monica, um, the podcast we did with her. Um, she talks about Black Lives Matter and do Black Trans Lives Matter within that movement. Um, very poignant, very timely, um, really important stuff um, and part of her legacy. Um, so I would encourage our listeners to go back and take a listen to that. Um, plus, we did a show, um, Aiden, it's been a while. In fact, we were kind of reminiscing on that, that we haven't had Aiden on since before um, Donald Trump's really persecution of transgender individuals in America, which obviously uh, Joe Biden has signaled with what you read, Brody, that um, that era is now going to turn a corner. Thank goodness. Um, but uh, uh, then Julia, we had on to celebrate the fact that she's the subject of a new documentary uh, about her life and her, her path um, and really, really exciting stuff. I mean, it's so exciting. I really hope at some point uh, the L.A. Blade runs, I don't know, an article about it. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a private <laughs> dig. A <laughs> little bit of a private dig there because, uh, anyway. <laughs> um, Brody, before we uh, bring on our guests, I do want to mm-hmm. have you touch base a little bit on the shenanigans of somebody sitting in the Oval Office right now who apparently doesn't want to leave. And uh, the, um, the coup that he is attempting to pull across the country. Um, it 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 literally has become a seriously bad episode of the Keystone Cops. Uh, the president of the United States, current, is uh, meeting with Michigan state lawmakers uh, in the Oval Office in an attempt to convince them to thwart the will of the people and to elect a slate electors that would give him the presidency uh, by ensuring that all 16 of Michigan's electoral votes went to him. There's a law on the books in Michigan that has actually survived a constitutional test. And the law basically states that the person who wins that state's popular vote gets all 16 electoral college votes. And at last count, I think uh, the certified count in Michigan was like 166,000 vote difference in Biden's favor. And so there's no way. Uh, In addition to that, um, he has been having legal teams headed by former New York mayor and federal prosecutor, his personal attorney, Rudy, uh, with a really bad hair licking down the side of his face, Giuliani. Uh, running around uh, with legal teams trying to get things overturned. As of today, Georgia certified Biden. Michigan has certified Biden. Wisconsin is close. Minnesota is close. At, at the end of the day, the 306 to 232 electoral college is going to stand. Uh, and there's no way that Trump is going to be able uh, to get around that. The fear right now is that because he's being instringent in his position that he's got the presidency and there was voter fraud and he's even got that joke of a White House press secretary, you know, calling us in the press room activists, by the way, um, denying the, uh, the reality of it. 
And for the first time ever in American government, people are actually asking, you know, okay, so who drags them out of the White House, the Secret Service or federal marshals? And that's no joke. I have sources mm-hmm. in the Secret Service telling me these discussions are actually going on. You know, it, it's it's just it's become it's become reality television in the worst sense. I saw something this morning that I couldn't believe, and I put it on my Twitter feed and I put it on my Facebook page. Joe Biden is- and Kamala Harris tweet out telling people that because they don't have access to transition funds and other things, they are literally setting up a GoFundMe, okay, mm-hmm. to finance. Their transit. It's not GoFundMe, the company, but it's the idea. They're putting together right. a crowd fundraising effort to finance the transition, okay, into power. And I looked at that tweet and I thought, this country is seriously broken. The problem, as President Obama pointed out in an interview last night um, on CNBC, is not just the bozo behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office. That's the given. The problem is the enablers on the White House staff. Worse are the enablers sitting on Capitol Hill in both houses, particularly in the Senate and the Republican governors and legislators that are allowing this to continue. President Obama said he's confused. I've been talking to Democrats in both the House and the Senate today. I've been talking to people in the DNC. I've been talking to a bunch of other people. Um, you know, as much as President-elect Biden wants to have things kind of like, you know, unity and go forward, the president-elect's got a huge problem, a huge problem. And it's being caused by the nonsense that we're seeing now. The Republicans don't want to give up power. For whatever reason, they're holding on to Trump. And it's really kind of gotten to the point now where it is going to seriously impair the Biden administration's ability to govern unless – some things get changed. And one of the things that will help is, quite frankly, the special election in the state of Georgia. If Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. and her marvelous political machine down there, and, and that's actually, um, you know, as Mark will tell you, because longtime resident of Atlanta and called that home for many, many years. But, you know, if Stacey Abrams and the folks in Georgia are able to write the ship of state by getting the two Democrats elected and take control away from Mitch McConnell, then the Biden administration does stand a chance of getting something done. But most analysts, including yours truly, are saying if that doesn't happen, yeah, the next four years are going to be a mess. Well, yeah, potentially. I mean, it definitely won't be easy. Um, The thing is, is that the you've got to follow the trail of, of power here on the Republican response to this, because Quite frankly, I think all the legislatures and governors and all that are are just scared because it's not Trump. It's the fact that Trump, you know, he lost, but he has, you know, 70 million Republicans who voted for him. So he's wielding that as his power wedge of the Republicans in office. Now, whether he can hold the attention of the rank and file Republicans or not is a big question. And once he steps out of the White House, he's probably going to be a little bit busy in court on his own. Um, and how that plays out is going to <clears throat> be a factor <clears throat> in things as well. I right, see so you guys choked up talking about that bull as me and everybody else. <laughs> <clears throat> 
exactly. Yeah, something something in my throat. <clears throat> so anyway, um, with that though, let's bring on Mark and uh, shift gears completely here, and uh, um, kind of do a, a a step into a whole other kind of celebration. Yeah. One more pleasant. So, Mark. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, Mark, the fabulous Mark is King. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And hello to both of you. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Well, so Hi happy there. almost birthday. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, and with all that's going on in the world, I know that it might seem frivolous, but people living with HIV for 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, or in my case, 40 years, um, who are hitting milestones like this, um, isn't, is not frivolous. It's, uh, it's uh, a uh, act of grace and science and um, belief and hope. And it, 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 it means so much to those of us living with HIV and to our friends like you. And so, um, I'm thrilled, you know, I, I'm, I've been, of course, listening intently to all of your, um, li- uh, you know, uh, uh, reviewing what's going on with us politically and as, and as bad as it is, and certainly we haven't had this level of batshit crazy before. That's true. It's also true that people like me know this isn't our first pandemic and it isn't our first president ignoring it. Right. Um, uh, I, I believe I'm very Anne Frank about these things. I believe in the goodness of people. And I believe at the end of the day, uh, we, uh, we shall overcome. Right. So Mark, I want to ask you about that, what you just brought up, um, because this isn't, this isn't our first, um, trip to the well. Um, this isn't the first mm-hmm. disease that, uh, Anthony Fauci has, come out as the shining knight around either, ironically. Um, and there was a situation back in the 80s that was um, probably equally horrific. It was different, but it was, you know, a disease. And, um, you know, it, 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 has, it has some similarities, but a lot of differences. Um, but a lot of millennials and a lot of younger LGBT people pretty much are completely unaware of it. Um, what are your thoughts about the current generation of just LGBTQ people and understanding what that was about? You know, I, I try to be philosophical about these things, and I'm more phil- philosophical now than I used to be. Uh, I'm not one of those people that thinks that um, these young people today, they, they don't care. They don't know our history. They don't know what I, I used to march five miles through the snow to get my HIV medications that didn't exist. I, I, I um, you know what? We all have our stuff. Every generation, every group has their stuff. And um, I survived AIDS. In the 80s, I, I survived for years and years before there was a single pill I could take. But there are people listening to this show right now who have been through at least as something at least as bad as that, maybe worse. And uh, if I don't take my grief and my trauma and my hope and my skills and my gratitude and use those to help someone else, to better understand someone else, 
then what the hell did I go through all that for? You know, what's it, what's it, what was it all for? If not to uh, show some grace toward younger people who might be, you know, okay, so a little laissez-faire about HIV in a way that we couldn't afford to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay because I worked really hard for a day in which a young person could be a little less focused and uh, mm-hmm. freaked out and uh, uh, concerned about HIV. That's a win as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, great point. So um, back in the day, um, Ronald Reagan did not only um, get free information about a disease that was hitting the country and sit on it for a number of months and then play it down. Um, he didn't even mention it for years while people suffered from it. Um, what can we take from having experienced that and living through that um, to deal with the current situation? What, what, what you, wisdom you know, it's, it's, for those it's, of us who were there? It's, an interesting, it's kind of an interesting intellectual parlor game to compare and contrast these two epidemics. Obviously I've been doing it for many months now. And, um, and, uh, and yet there are things that are, that are so different about it that they really can't be compared. And yet then there are things that are, um, I, um, for, for starters, HIV was affecting a very specific populations and populations that were marginalized and considered, um, invaluable considered uh we had no value uh if if homosexuals and drug addicts and black and brown people died so what it was um it was a much harder case to make in the public uh square that we had value we deserved to be saved it was not a disease that was killing the, your grandmother in her nursing home and so we had a much harder road to hoe in terms of, of fighting for um, uh, uh, acknowledgement of this uh, new pandemic, uh, much less empathy uh, for those of us who were dealing with it. Um, so in, in, in that way, it's much different. On the other hand, um, you know, masks are the new condoms. Some people just won't, just won't. You know, and uh, um, it's funny when you have an invisible enemy, uh, it's very hard to make it real in the lives of people. And as frustrated as I get about the lack of mask wearing, people taking it seriously, getting together in crowds, all of that stuff, um, I understand human behavior and, and the challenge from public health officials to say this thing you're doing that seems really great and you're with your family and you love your sister um, could kill you, could hurt you, or if not you, the person that you pass in, uh, you know, pass in the grocery store. That's a really hard, it's such a, um, you know, it's such, um, it's so, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to put your finger on. It's hard to substantiate, you know, um, now we're seeing the numbers. So we see the numbers and you know what, after months and months, I finally got, um, hit close to home. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, died of COVID two weeks ago. 
And um, uh, he was 50 years old. Uh, So, uh, and didn't otherwise uh, fit, you know, the the, the normal description of, of who might get it. So you're right. It is interesting to compare and contrast politically, scientifically, socially, um, between these two epidemics. Um, and, and, and what you end up with is it's an interesting exercise. Well, I, I actually think it's more than an interesting exercise because I think there are things that, that we, we can take from that experience because um, black and brown people are dying more um, from COVID than are white people. And a lot of the privilege <clears throat> that we see being exhibited, I think, is coming from, you know, granted, it's a different strain from what we experienced when we were so segmented. But understanding that that is how people are going to think, they're going to think in their own backyard and addressing it. Mm-hmm. And in our... our no, you, and, and you actually, in, you make a very good point about yeah, the differences a, in the haves and the haves not. And, and who has access to health care? Um, for whom will there be better health outcomes? And, um, and actually, I own my own privilege. You know, I, I didn't survive 40 years for HIV by accident. I'm a white cisgender man with resources mm-hmm. and health insurance, and I know who the doctor to call. And, and back in the day, I knew, knew what clinical trials to get in, and all that information was gladly presented to me um, in, in, in ways that made it easier for me. Um, I'm so glad that you are, um, by the way, um, remembering uh, Monica Roberts and so many other people that we've lost. And it isn't just an epidemic of violence against transgender uh, people. It is an epidemic of HIV uh, among transgender women mm-hmm. who uh, mm-hmm. have a 50-50 chance of, of developing HIV in their lifetime. 50-50, 50%. And, um, yeah, no, absolutely. and then have and, a lack of resources to do something about it, to get on the medications and, and to have better health, health outcomes. So we lose a great deal of black transgender women every day from HIV. Right. And I want to go back to one mention, thing you just mentioned is, is the uh, privilege of healthcare because Today, in the current situation, in places, especially in the South, there are a lot of African-American men who are not educated, who are not having um, the health resources made available to them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. so that there is a lot of, of literally experiences that are similar to what we went through in the 80s being experienced by people who are shielded from the appropriate care today because the disease hasn't changed just the Mm -hmm. approach to it in most segments but um the other thing too that strikes me is different um and this is kind of a little bit in reverse is i have a huge amount of gratitude towards the societal response and granted it's not everybody and granted there's protests Mm -hmm. and fights against it but the thing we did not have was that united effort of somebody saying, okay, we're going to stop everything right now. We're going to stop. We're going to separate. We're going to get this under control before we return to life as we knew it. Now, there were a lot of sensitivities around it at the time because it 
you know, because we were already a persecuted minority. And so some of that, mm-hmm. that especially was focused on us, would have not been, it would have felt like we were being further persecuted. And quite frankly, people would have used it as a reason to persecute us, you know, with license. Um, but the difference now where we're all in this together is not a feeling we had back then at all. It was, we had, <laughs> and you mentioned a good point own. about, about, uh, uh, um, who it, who we were and how it was and, and whether or not we had society behind us. HIV is a, sexual, a, a disease transmitted sexually and through drug use, through sharing needles. It's not, it, it's not, it, it's not um, transmitted um, having a conversation across the Thanksgiving table. And so, uh, again, the stigma of, of the people, you know, I, I, can I cuss on this show? Oh yeah, go for it. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Because I, I always say I always say that that HIV is the scuzzy butt fucking cousin of COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, HIV is the is the is is the cousin that is uh, having sex and shooting up and doing all, and 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 uh, doing all of these things that a lot of society finds you know um, salacious and and naughty and and bad. Um, COVID. Uh, in terms of its transmission and all of that is um, uh, is 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 far different. And 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 again, here we go. There's there's so much to compare and contrast. Right. Yeah. No. It's it's um, it is interesting. And it, it, I guess for me also, because one of the big differences between that and now is, and you made this point earlier. I think that was especially at the time. Um, to get that diagnosis then and survive it was the surprising. It was because oh, when you yeah. got that diagnosis, it was a likely for sure death. And now yes. with COVID. Much higher mortality um, rate. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and COVID is not that. So it's hugely different. However, COVID is not going to be the end of the story. I mean, these things are going to keep happening. And um, that is the, the future of the world we live in. And the next wave could be worse. It could be the, the hybrid between HIV and COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's why, in my opinion, the Trump administration and their you know, complete disrespect to the seriousness of this were, was pretty much criminal. I mean, because of what... It can be. Yes. Well, there, they're lucky it wasn't like worse. There. That, there's Go, something that it, okay. Well, uh, my former wife uh, is a pediatric surgeon, but her specialty is actually infectious diseases, and she practices medicine uh, in regards to both dealing with HIV um, and now, unfortunately, this pandemic as well. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Levesque has constantly pointed out to me, and she's right, is that there is no longer a sense of isolation with any form of a communicable disease, infection, virus, doesn't matter what it is, as far as in terms of a global outlook. This particular Mm -hmm. instance 
not unlike HIV, but probably more so because of the rapid spread, the fact that it's aerosol, and the fact that it has taken out so many populations and caused so much misery globally, has made it readily apparent that political differences aside, there's got to be some sort of unified policy by healthcare professionals, begrudgingly or not, by their political institutions, because at the end of the day, this is the type of thing that disrupts on a global scale. The biggest problem mm-hmm. that we saw coming out of this was the Trump decision to pull out of the World Health Organization and thereby isolating yes. the United States at a time when people like my former wife who practices in another country and other professionals just like her were desperate trying to find solutions to identify the different rates of mutation of this particular retrovirus. This thing can mutate rapidly in human populations. And it's one of those things that going forward uh, to Rob's point, and I think what Dr. Levesque would agree with, we have got to quit treating the health care of humans in particular when it comes down to these topics uh, in such a petty and singular fashion as to be hyper-local instead of global in terms of thinking. And that really is, at the end of the day, where this has got to go. If it does not, and people fail to heed the caution of healthcare experts like my former spouse and people just like her, Rob's right. The next go around, yeah, there may not be much left after it's mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Trump did get what he wanted. He pulled out, and we did become number one. We have uh, the most fatalities and the most uh, infections. We're, we're right there on top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to shift gears here because, uh, Mark, you have something much more fabulous um, about this whole thing um, <laughs> with your celebration coming up December 16th. Uh, tell us about that, and uh, how did that come about? Well, you know, um, I was going to turn 60 years old, and it's still going to happen. As I, I can't seem to, to, to stop that train, and I will actually be turning 60 on uh, December to. I know. Um, uh, on December 23rd, but on December 16th, we're going to do a virtual event. And I realized, of course, as this as this date was coming, that I will have lived 40 of my 60 years with HIV. And what a miracle that is and how much there's to be grateful for. And how and I realized I wanted to celebrate this with all long term HIV survivors. So many of us are hitting major life milestones that, you know, seemed impossible and and so let's let's uh, do a celebration and let's have it benefit the reunion project which is a national network of hiv survivors and uh and raise some money for them so i i i started asking people about first of all the first question was can i get away with this can i throw a big party for myself (laughs) and um of course people who know and love me said uh sure okay (laughs) and Everybody I asked to, to come on board to produce the event to, um, said yes, and uh, they'd do it for nothing. And then I started asking, uh, you know, celebrities. And, uh, you know, you scooped me because uh, I haven't said to anyone publicly that Elton John will be at my party. But, oh, yeah, I was going to tell you. 
Huh? <laughs> it's on your website. But yes, it is not on my website. I tell you, it's nowhere. But you're right, and I was going to, I was going to tell you anyway. I promise, I was going to tell you anyway. But yes, Elton John uh, and his husband David Furnish, uh, who is the president of the Elton John AIDS Foundation board, uh, will be making an appearance. And the, the the what everyone needs to know is Mark is sixty. dot com. That's M A R K I S six zero. Mark is sixty. dot com. If you go there, you can find out all the information, how to register, how to make a donation to the reunion project. But anybody can view the party. It will be streaming live on Facebook and YouTube. You can find out how to, how to you know, where to watch it um, at mark at markis60.com. And um, we're going to raise some money. It's going to be very silly. It's going to be celebratory. Uh, we'll certainly take a moment to recognize the fact that we leave many friends too many friends behind and that, but that, that doesn't minimize how much there is uh, for us to celebrate. There'll be, there'll be entertainment, music, Broadway actors, Olympians, pop icons. And uh, it's, you know, it's been quite a year that's for sure. Um, But um, let's have some frivolous fun for a good cause and celebrate all of us long-term survivors who are getting a little old in the tooth. Thank God. Who knew? No, that's, I think that's fantastic. What, um, tell us about the reunion project, though, that this is um, supporting. You know, the reunion project was started in Chicago. by uh, uh, started by a couple of long-term survivors, Matt Sharp out of San Francisco and Jeff Berry in Chicago. And uh, they realized, of course, uh, you know, we talk a lot about long-term survivors and our various needs in the HIV arena. Um, But it was the first kind of effort to really get in there and have programs and education. And they did like uh, a special programming in Chicago there. And it went so well that they got funding to do it in other cities. And so they have presented like weekend seminars specific to long-term survivors in Palm Springs, Philadelphia, DC, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Atlanta, and uh, they're doing a virtual town hall uh, coming up in December. And you can find out more about that if you go to their website, which you can find if you go to markis60.com. And you, you can <laughs> click on their thing and you can find out about their uh, national virtual town hall event. Actually, I'll be at their town hall event presenting about sex. Sex as a long-term survivor. <laughs> Let me tell you about sex as a long-term survivor. It used to be me and my (laughs) husband had date night Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And uh, then, and and then it became like, well, you know, not the whole, the whole McGillow, just like a little sex on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then the whole thing on Saturday. And now we just have date night on Saturdays. But if that Saturday has a new episode of the great British baking show, we might skip that Saturday. And I guess what I'm saying is a lot of us are consumed in the media by sex and by who's having it and all the sex everybody's having. And I want you to know that I am a red-blooded, perfectly uh, functional uh, gay man who is 60 years old. And twice a month is about okay. Just about okay. (laughs) And um, I, I say that because I think it's important that a lot of people get sucked into our, you know, of course, 
our youth obsessed, sexual obsessed culture. And um, um, some of us, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're a little older and we're a little slower and, uh, and I'm a great cuddler. And, and then I'll just let it, I'll, I'll just end with that. I'm a great cuddler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, very nice. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, you I'm, just don't I'm, even know I'm how to respond coming, to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm having trouble coming up with a follow-up question to that one, <laughs> Brody. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one alone. I'll stick to politics. Well, look, so, I, you know, I'm an HIV advocate. We talk about sex all day long, and or the lack true. thereof. The lack thereof. Yeah. Well, that would be me. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> so, Mark, I'm, actually, I want to ask you a, a little more serious question, though, about survivorship. And one thing yes. that um, – because we've been through a lot in in those decades. And, you know, we talk about, obviously, because the big burn um, is what happened initially with, with the lack of reaction, the, the complete absurd political response. I mean, Brody can – can, um, because I think, Brody, you were either in the room or close by when the Reagan administration held its presser um, with the uh, um, press secretary who literally mocked people who had HIV. Yes. Um, I, yes, was, I, was, um, I, was actually, I was actually in the room. I was a deeply yeah, closeted yeah. 20-something reporter. You can imagine what my reaction to that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a horror show. But the thing that we don't talk about, the other part of the survivorship, is through the years, there has been a huge stigma within the community of um, HIV positive um, people, um, treated as pariahs, mm-hmm. avoided, maligned, yes. and um, the mental health issues that I'm sure come with that. Um, what are your thoughts on surviving that? I think that um, we love to uh, separate ourselves from the other. It's human nature. We identify the other, and then we stigmatize them because it's a simple, lazy way to feel better about ourselves. And gay men are remarkably good at it. We grew up feeling um, stigmatized and uh, uh, teased and berated, and we developed fairly sharp claws of our own and we know how to use them. And so I'll speak, I'll speak specifically about the subgroup of gay men now. And uh, so we've created hierarchies within gay men who's hot, who's not, who's hung, who's not, who's old, who's young and all of that. But we also have a hierarchy when it comes to HIV. Of course, there's the top of the heap. Those who are, those who are HIV negative. You know, the, the, the fortunate ones, the lucky ones, um, those who are HIV positive and newly diagnosed and should have known better. Uh, and then you work your way down the line, and who do you ha- have at the bottom of the heap? Long-term survivors who represent for us too often something that we don't want to see, a war that we don't want to remember. Sometimes we carry the scars of that war. We carry them physically. We might have facial wasting. We might have um, body uh, uh, disfigurement as a result of uh, living with AIDS. And it's something that, that many gay men find hard to see and to have to face. And um, they would just as soon we hurry up and die already. 
And that sounds harsh, and yet it exists mm-hmm. within our gay community, that, yeah. that hierarchy of who is attractive, who is, who is worthwhile. Yes, we do, uh, many of us uh, respect and honor and hold up those of us who have been through that war. Um, but for too many uh, gay men, because they're young and they're frivolous, and I remember being that, and I'm not blaming them. I'm simply saying it's a statement of fact. Um, they look at us and we represent a war that they would uh, uh, prefer to forget. Yeah, no, True. really well said. Yeah, yeah. Brody? Well, it's, it's, it's the, the biggest problem um, that I have always found, and I lost my very best friend 31, almost 32 years ago now. Um, in San Francisco to this thing. And the one thing that I've spent a lot of time talking with younger people is that there's such a lack of comprehensive knowledge of it or context to exactly what the effect was. And particularly, and I'm not casting aspersion, but the five under crowd really don't get it, don't understand it. It's almost as though, you know, for them, everything's in a historic context to like it should be in a book, like the Challenger blowing up. Mm-hmm. For those of us that were yeah. there that saw that happen, you know, it was something we remembered. But for these mm-hmm. young people, yes. they, they don't understand it. I mean, they literally have the swipe left mentality of, of yes. what they can identify with and everything for that. Yes. Mark, I absolutely agree with what you said because I've had discussions um, with younger, you know, gay men uh, that, uh, you know, if they see the word pause in a profile of any kind on a dating app, it's, oh, hell no, the way we go. Now, mm. But Brody, I'm going to challenge you on, I want to, okay. I want to challenge you on that for a minute. Sure. When I was 25 years old, back yeah. in 1974, okay. I never walked up to a Vietnam vet and said, tell me all about it. I, I'm dying sure. to hear. Tell me about the war. Sure. Tell me about the war, Daddy. Tell me what happened. No, yeah. I was too busy being 24 years old, running around, getting laid, uh, you know, uh, blow-drying my fabulous hair. I was th- – th- I, I, and so I have to have I'm, – I'm more philosophical about this than I used to be. Okay. They, no, they weren't there. And, and, and so they weren't there. And, and, and furthermore, every day, somebody, right now, some young gay man is deciding what his sexuality is. He's discovering his own sexuality. He is having sex for the first time. And only now is he even paying attention to what HIV is. He doesn't know. He didn't come. He didn't come this way. Nobody gave him a manual. You know, he he didn't know. He has to be taught, and so we right. have to be patient mm-hmm. and understanding that all sorts of people they did they didn't just enter the arena, you know, with with uh, and download gay history into their brains. They don't know. Uh, yeah. I have to be careful though, of of I I call it bludgeoning young gay men with my AIDS tragedy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. It's important history that should be respected and shared. They don't know it unless I share it. And I do it in a way that is accessible 
and I don't do it in a way that is punishing, you know, as if, why don't you know this? Why aren't you using a condom? Why aren't you? Well, because they're young and they're stupid and they're, they're just plain ignorant and they don't know. And so I have to, we need to be patient with those people who are, you know, not willfully ignorant. They're just ignorant. And they're ignorant in our history. And I take whatever opportunities I can to share that history, but it, it, uh, it, it doesn't just come automatic. No, I and it's ironic I, because it's what it's what you were saying before um, that you know, and they were alluding to before that in many ways we fought the fight, so younger generations didn't have to deal with what we went through, and so that's it is exactly sort of right. Reverse. That's exactly to right. Turn around and go, go. Okay, we set it up so you don't have to deal with it, but now <laughs> why aren't you dealing with it? I mean, because that that was the intent. We didn't want them exactly. to deal with it. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. and. Um, you know, I talk to groups of people all the time, including younger gay men. I do presentations to them all the time. And I'm, I'm, I feel honored to do it uh, because uh, most of the time they go, wow, I didn't know it was like that. I, I didn't know how bad it was. Oh, you, your best friends died in your guest room? I had no idea. You know, yeah. I mean, w- we have to share that story, but we have to do it in a way that shows that, that, shows that we know that this is not the center of their universe. It may have been yeah, for and us. I, and that's why I say we all have our shit. Every generation, yeah. every group of people, we all, they all have our stuff. And, 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 and for a young gay man, it ain't AIDS. Nope. Right. And right. I, I think we also have to look at the, the environment of the platforms we're talking about too, because um, quite frankly, I get, I get a little bit miffed when people look to, some of these sites like um, Grindr or whatever and want equality and they want this and that, you know, they want depth, um, you know, from people on there because they're judged on, you know, uh, the huge variety. And Mark, you went through a whole bunch of them. um, That's right. The way people are judged, but that's the platform. That's the platform. I mean, quite frankly, people can put a lewd picture up there and that's their advertising of themselves on that platform. It is not a platform that people go to, to, I mean, the I, the person's IQ is not what right. they put a picture up of, you know, or or their sensitivity right. or their their greatest art project or anything like that. This is not the platform for it. The thing that I let's do just find say that these though, dating apps, these dating apps haven't exactly brought out the best in people. Let's just start there. No, not at all. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. It, 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 it but, certainly haven't, hasn't brought out people's honesty or people's higher selves in terms of what they're looking for. But that's just it. That isn't about their higher selves. It's about their right. lower selves, specifically exactly. below the belt. Exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> the, and so, the one point I wanted to make, though, on it is about what, what um, I think, Brody, you brought up about, um, you know, pause being pointed out on that site is – that situation has changed and people do not have not changed with the situation because ironically nowadays, somebody who is positive is on meds and probably has an undetectable non-existent viral load. Whereas the people that are the most threatening to another person's health are the ones who think they are negatives who are not and have a very high viral load. And that is, part of the shift that hasn't taken place. And that's not in the past. That's right now. And it's like that You're kind right. of education, I think people really need to understand. 
Well, you know, and there's a couple of things about that. First, a lot of the sites are being very good about having new categories and having categories for people who are undetectable or people who are on prep. And so by doing that, they're getting to the people who are the most sexually active or at least a big part of those people who are the most sexually active and educating them on what PrEP means and what it means to be undetectable. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's progress. The other thing I want to say about it is this is all relatively new. We have spent 35, 40 years getting the shit scared out of us about what it means to have HIV. That doesn't just wipe away because there are new developments telling us the fact that I can't transmit HIV to you because I am undetectable. I'm a safe person to have sex with. I, th- that's, that's all well and good, and they might hear it intellectually, but they've been raised to, be, to fear HIV, raised to fear it. Right. So it is not going Absolutely. to be uh, easily – that's not going to be easily swept away. That will take some time. And, Mark, with that, we, we have to wrap up because we, we're at the end of our hour. Um, thank you so much. Happy birthday. Um, and, again, the, um, the date is December 16th. Quickly tell us the website that people can take it advantage is, of You this. go to Mark is 60, M-A-R-K-I-S-6-0, dot com, and you can hear all about it, and I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a lot of fun, I promise. It's going to be excellent. And you need to come back here because obviously we had a lot more we could talk about and uh, we were just getting started, but uh, unfortunately we've got constraints. Um, so thank you so much for everything you do and for joining us today. Um, Brody, thank you for what you do and for your uh, journalistic touch and contribution to the world. Check out LA Blade. Um, that's Brody's publication and um, it's sister publication, the Washington Blade. Um, and listen to us every week. We will be back here again next week with another super important program. Actually, we won't be back here next week because it's Thanksgiving and we are taking that off. But two weeks from now, we will be back. And um, it will be an incredibly wonderful, fantastic, insightful, brilliant show. And I have no idea what the subject is yet, but I can guarantee you that it will fit all of those adjectives. I promise. So for Brody and myself and Rated LGBT Radio, um, we bid you goodbye. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 